0: There is only one queen long live queen elizabeth god save the queen all that's happened on my watch is the place has fallen
1: apart the crown cast a new watch along podcast series from news talk the crown the crown the crown must win
0: Kira Kelly and very welcome to episode 9. We're almost finished of the cast, and this episode of course is called Avalanche uh, and my guest today is John Fardy of Screen Time fame um, News Talks Film and TV Review every uh, Saturday evening at 6 o'clock. John Fardy actually knows stuff about stuff <laughs> as opposed to most of my guests who just like myself, are, are winging it slightly. Um, John, you're very
1: welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for letting me do this episode because your erstwhile producer of this podcast, Sean, wanted me to do episode eight. And I asked to do episode nine specifically because you may or may not know this, why would you? But I claim to be Ireland's biggest Billy Joel fan. I went to a concert of his when I was 14, I think it was, in Wembley Arena. And, you know, something happens to you as a kid, your first live act, and I've been his biggest fan ever since. And why am I talking about that? Because the first scene, really, in this episode has Billy Joel kind of loosely at its centre, or certainly on the stage. Talk
0: us through that first scene, because when I was watching it, I vaguely, vaguely remembered it. Although when I was seeing it before my eyes on The Crown, I went this is semi-bizarre what I'm looking at, but actually this happened.
1: Yeah, it did happen. And actually Billy Joel was out last week saying, yes, it did happen. And Wayne Teep, the uh, choreographer. Sleep, is it? It's Wayne Sleep. Sorry, yes. (laughs) Who who was, you see, I don't know that much. He he (laughs) verified it as well. And just before we get to that, I thought this was a great episode, incidentally, because I really liked the fact that it was... The two of them, mostly, was just a tandem piece, more or less, between Charles and Diana. It was one of the most satisfying ones of this series so far, I thought, episode nine. Anyway, Princess Diana has this idea that she is going to surprise Charles on his birthday after they see a private performance of the Royal Ballet in a pretty packed auditorium. She disappears, having gotten the wink and the nod from Wayne, and she does a choreographed dance to Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. And he's mortified. Now, we don't know if the mortification was genuine in real life. One imagines it kind of was. I thought she danced pretty well, certainly in that version of The Crown. It was her favourite song, certainly, at that time. Apparently, she
0: actually had had formal training as a ballerina. She actually had some kind of prior, maybe it was finishing school type mm. stuff but she'd actually done quite a lot of training we'd actually seen her do bits of it I think earlier on in the series but I think there was an element of that that she could she could dance and she got the massive eight minute apparently standing yeah. an ovation and, and took the place by storm I, I suppose what I thought was odd about it and as I say this actually happened but but w- what I thought was bizarre watching was she was the future queen of England she was the, the, the princess of Wales she was probably the most famous woman in the world and yet she kind of got up and boogied on a stage it, 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 it was it was hard to get my head round
1: it for some reason but you're right and in a way that points to the whole problem certainly at that time that mm. Diana was for the royal family you know she wanted to dance you know to be euphemistic about it and yet she was not really supposed to be doing those things and it was stuff like this you know that herald in the new era of, of the monarchy, her son now, you know, who's left the royal family in essence, like they, they both, you know, William as well, to maybe a lesser extent, learned from that example that, you know, you had to be this vaguely fun loving person, which she she clearly was. And, you know, what I thought was one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the whole series so far is afterwards when he gets into the car with her Ah. and he's mortified and they have this they have this really spiteful row and he says to her she says to him I'm really starting to properly loathe you and he says this and I've written it out because I thought it was awful he says what's taking you so long the rest of us have been there for some time and I just thought that sense of him feeling really bad about himself all his young life in essence yeah. is captured in that phrase I thought it was kind of heartbreaking
0: Interesting and actually we'll, 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 let's take a little listen to that clip now That
1: grotesque mortifying display had nothing to do with me or my happiness 8 minutes they were on their feet Cheering you. Tomorrow, the newspapers will be about nothing other than you.
0: And people will see that it was about my feelings for no, you. If you
1: had any feelings for me, if you had any understanding of me,
0: if you had anything between your ears other than self obsession, you'd know public displays like that horrify me. Everything I do seems to horrify Increasingly, you. yes. I never thought you'd manage this, but you're really succeeding now.
1: And what's that?
0: I'm starting to properly load it! And what's
1: you? taken you so long? The rest of us have been there for some time!
0: Something else that's in that same scene. I, mm. I agree with you that, that what's taken you so long. Yes, the self-loathing that he he appears in this scene to feel about about him, himself, and, and and I think you're right, probably where it stems from. But he says something to her that I think is very interesting as well. He says your your uh, your self-obsession. He said that knows kind of no bounds yeah. or something along those lines. And the reality is, as he said it. I did wonder, as in, she's like, "I'm doing it for you, Charles. Yeah. I want everyone to know how you feel." But I, my head actually went, "Are you?" Or was there a little bit of, "He's right. You know that tomorrow the papers will not be about Charles's birthday. They, it will be about your dancing, and y- you, you must know it's not his thing because, yeah. like, even I, from watching The Crown, knew it wasn't his thing, and I wasn't married to him. But, but did you wonder for a second? Is was there an element of Diana? Being disingenuous in some of her things because that in that moment, in that row, in that car, I, I thought about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, she's a multi layered composite character like all human beings. And there was certainly a touch of that. I mean, I remember at the time, or certainly I've, I've read retrospectively, I was probably a bit young at the time, but they used to say it was reported that, you know, her handlers would ring up press photographers before she left the house like so there was uh, and, and you know I don't want to say that's unsubstantiated because I actually I, I read that in a number of places like her relationship with the press was yeah. bizarre and her relationship with her own public persona was very complicated so you're right. Love like,
0: and hate wasn't there yeah, they, they were both there.
1: Big time and she must have known given Charles and what he was into and his foibles the idea of dancing you know on the Royal Ballet stage and- to billy Joel is kind of not and going to if, hit the mark
0: it's not impossible it's not really portrayed in this but it's not impossible if your husband was consistently straying and overlooking you for another woman hmm. since the get-go that you wouldn't occasionally like to upstage him perhaps
1: yeah absolutely i mean scenes from a marriage i guess yeah yeah no yeah. I, absolutely absolutely
0: I'm kind of with you on this episode. And it was funny because the last episode we did was with um, Pat Kenny and it, it was the one all about apartheid in South Africa. And it was very well done and the Commonwealth mm. and the the big political themes of the 80s, the big backdrop to it. And The Crown does that very well. It does the personal story and then the political story. But when I saw this too, I really enjoyed this particular episode, Avalanche. And I realised that actually what I'm probably most invested in is the soap opera. I'm not yeah. as interested I quite like the back background noise to be the 80s and whatever was going on but I'm not really interested in the political machinations of the Commonwealth. I'm far more interested in the rows in the backseat of the car between Charles and Diana. I, I'm I'm lowbrow is what I'm saying.
1: Hey, hey, you and me both. But you're right. Uh, but also just I thought because when I did a recap with you a few weeks ago we were saying season three we People bemoaned it a bit because it took too much of the real world and that real politic and bled in. I thought this season they've done it quite well, and even with the Margaret Thatcher stuff, her character is front and center as opposed to you know the Bobby Sands business or or any of the minor strikes that. I think they've bled it in a bit better this time, the yeah. real world events and how they've affected the characters. The mix
0: is subtly different. It is. The, this is called avalanche because mm-hmm. what they framed it around is after that that 37th birthday debacle with the dancing and all that they go off on their holidays they go off skiing with a a bunch of of equally wealthy hoi polloi types and and they're caught up in an avalanche charles goes missing briefly the world questions whether or not he might have been killed he's not killed but friends of theirs are killed on that holiday and it's a very somber and, and sad things you know they're coming home with the widow of one of their good pals who 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 was killed in the snow yeah, and all Hugh Lindsay that, and, I think he was And yes and all of that actually happened and then we're, we're, we're sort of led along the storyline that it makes them both reassess I think the near death or, or, yeah. or that kind of facing your own mortality kind of thing even if it wasn't quite near death, made them both assess. And Charles' assessment is, I want out, I can't cope, I can't live like this anymore. But Diana sort of mentally recommits to the marriage. Talk us through that bit.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really well done. And what I thought, what I really liked about it as well was Olivia Coleman's. she's getting word from the butlers or the staff or whoever they are, you know, we've found a body or there's a body missing. And just the way it was registering on her face, she just had this sense of a woman who's been around a long time and is preparing herself for a possible tragedy. And then when it doesn't come, when Charles is found safe and well, there's just... uh... You know the relief on her face. It's not huge, but for her, it's huge. The way it's done. So I, I really like the way that was done. But yes, so they both re their lives, and oddly, Diana decides to recommit, and Charles is like, "Enough. I've wasted enough time on this," and they go off and meet the Queen and Prince Philip to to discuss what's to be done with their marriage. Because also in the episode, Prince or uh, Olivia Coleman, the Queen has gone to Princess Anne to get, you know what's going on with this marriage? And she tells her some pretty shocking things. So she's sitting down, Charles and Diana, and Diana, before Charles can get to it, says to her, you know, and the Queen has kind of been honest and upfront with her saying, we're aware that you have, you know, in the parlance of the time, taken lovers or whatever. And she Broken your vows. Broken your vows, that was it. it. I just wanted to get the word lovers in, you know. It's it's (laughs) day not wasted, if you can say it. And she... Says yes, that's true, basically, but she's recommitted. This, this has brought her to her senses. And Charles doesn't get a chance to speak until she gives this long kind of monologue about how she wants the marriage to work. And Charles says, Is that it? Because he's basically prepared a letter almost that he's yeah. go- going to read. And Prince he says Philip. She's
0: preempted him, doesn't she? Yeah, doesn't it's he, rather? like a yeah. preemptive
1: strike. And Prince Philip says, What else is there to say? Because it's almost like Prince Philip is going, I know your marriage isn't perfect. No one in this royal's family is, considering his own, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting, though, we're saying that they all reassessed. Certainly the parents didn't appear to reassess and kind of go, oh, Charles has just dodged a bullet. Wouldn't it be best if he could live his you know, his best life or something? Mm. They, they, they don't appear to, to come to that conclusion.
1: No, and they don't, as we know, in, in the real life for a while to come yet. And then what happens, and we're I've, I checked this with you last time, but we're going to give spoilers, I guess, right? So she then decides to recommit to the marriage does another performance form from Phantom of the Opera and you're like oh
0: my god she sings and we might take a little clip from that here too no more talk of darkness Forget these wide-eyed fears
1: I'm here Inflicted on me at the opera house couldn't be topped. What was it? A video of Diana <laughs> singing some dreadful song in some musical. Yeah. Say
0: you love me. It's cr- it is a bit cringy. Let's be honest. Yeah.
1: Now I'm not sure about how accurate that is in terms of did that actually happen in that way. Don't I, know. I, I, I'm not entirely sure about that. That said, he describes it as monstrous. Certainly in that episode of The Crown. Again, he is he he no time does for it.
0: and. Yeah and it's, it's, it's almost cruel how scathing he is of it because honestly mm-hmm. if you did go to the trouble of recording yourself singing for somebody or something and, and then they rubbished it you'd be mortified because you'd be so exposed in that moment although perhaps there was a little bit of ego there too who knows but, but I, I think this is very interesting what Anne says to him and we'll take a listen to this. Listen to me. No one can bear to watch the mess you are making of this and someone needs to explain things to you. I'm close to Camilla's husband, as you know.
1: Yes, I'm aware.
0: And speak to Andrew regularly. And while theirs is not a perfect marriage. Understatement. It is a long-lasting marriage. And in its own way, a happy marriage. She is not happy. She's happier than you think. But he's bedding most of her friends. It's complicated. The majority of marriages survive because the majority of people aren't fantasists. They are realists and accept the imperfect reality of being human. And although Camilla doubtless has feelings for you, deep feelings, it is maybe not quite the great Romeo-Juliet thing that you imagine. What? You're lying. No, I'm not. I'm trying to protect you. I come here
1: seeking comfort from my sibling, and what do I get? The unvarnished truth. What does one have to do to get some kindness in this family?
0: Anne has given that view before, John. She's basically saying fairy-tale princess falls in Mm. love with handsome prince who happens to be in love with somebody else who, in her turn happens to be in love with somebody else. Anne has given this take before in the series that actually Camilla may be the love of Charles's life, but the love of, of Camilla's life remained Andrew Parker Bowles. Uh, yeah, I, I quite like this because I, I, I find it much more interesting yeah. than just star-crossed lovers. It, it, it is a sort of a, a four-way circular thing that, yeah. that, that it's probably more realistic in how people's heads work
1: yeah and he runs off to her and and, and, you know sits in the car with her and, and puts it up to her and says Anne thinks basically you're not the love of my life and the answer she gives him as you point out is a bit more nuanced than he might expect and they end up saying something like Camilla says to him Andrew doesn't need me the way you need me Yes. Which isn't really a declaration of love, you know, it's saying, no. I know you really need me. I mean, you know, that's not he really gonna keep he's, you warm at
0: night. She says to him, He's he's not as devoted. he was never as devoted mm. to me as you are. Yeah. And he doesn't need me like you do. She doesn't actually say the words, I love you more than I love him. No, that I that's not said. She does say, I love you, my love is real. Mm. But you you it's very well written because you do end up questioning what's unsaid in it. Well, at least I do, and kinda of wondering. Did did you know was Camilla at, at one point married to the love of her life? But it all yeah. blew up in her face after those three people in this marriage, and and she took the the easier path in some way of becoming the future Duchess of of Cornwall.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you, and I I thought it was brilliantly done. Like the writing is brilliant. Whether, you know, and I know you've had arguments with Guardian journalists about this, whether any of this actually occurred, the writing of this on its own terms and particularly this episode is magnificent. It really is. And that scene in particular.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and I thought the same that the little and I actually rewatched it to try and get my head around more. But I thought this, the scene with, with, with Charles and Diana and, and Elizabeth, the Queen and, and Philip, where Charles is producing this paper and Diana is, is watching him and watching him about to make this speech. And she launches in going, I want it to work. And it is that preemptive strike. And it is a little bit calculating. And I suppose my, my reflective head, now that I have had time to think about it since watching the episode is, you know, she recommitted, he didn't, but she had more to lose in a way through the divorce. Now, as it happened, she remained super famous and all of that. Mm. But but she was no longer going to be the queen if yeah. she divorces Charles. She was no longer going to be a member of the royal household if she divorces Charles. And that was a great unknown to her. She didn't know that she was going to stay super famous. You, 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 that, that was unknowable. And so she had, despite her unhappiness, it was expedient to to be in that marriage too, in some ways. And those are the terrible compromises we make in life.
1: Sure. But, you know, to be on the side of the angels for her as well, she's this very young woman when she marries into this place. The thought of, like, she's done very little else with her life apart from being the Princess of Wales. And that's enough for any lifetime. So the idea of leaving that must have been terrifying. Also leaving it with two children and certainly at this time you know the royal family aren't known for their feminist views so you know it, it was expedient for her to stay for a long time but it must have been very frightening the prospect of leaving as well yeah. to say that in a defence you know.
0: You you mentioned Guardian columnists and you're quite right I did speak to <laughs> Simon Jenkins about the fact versus fiction element of the crown. He was quite unhappy about how the crown is portraying living people. He said it might be fair enough to dramatise ancient history or what have you, but to dramatise the lives of people that continue to live simply because the royals don't sue over something that makes them look bad or whatever, um, isn't fair, isn't right, and that people are watching this, believing it to be almost like a documentary and it's not. What's your take on all that?
1: Well, firstly, I, I think that's silly because I think all So much of what we learn comes to us from reimagined pieces. So much of what we know about history is as the result of products of imagination, be they songs or novels or movies. Like, I... The, anything I knew about America as a kid came to me from TV shows. Mark Twain novels taught me a bit about Middle America and the Mississippi. In the same way that The Crown, I think, would teach, you know, my kids are a bit young, but when they're older, maybe that there was this period in English history where, you know, there was this royal family or they were involved in Northern Ireland and some people weren't happy. Like, I always say this, if you look at, there's two fantastic films about the Holocaust, right? One is Schindler's List, which is an amazing film, but it's a fictionalisation of what happened to this guy Schindler and what he did for those Jews. You can also watch an 11-hour movie called Shoah by a guy called Landsman, which is a very powerful movie, but it's 11 hours of testament from Holocaust survivors. Now, what is going to have the most immediate educational impact for young people, or for people in general? It's Schindler's List. In the same way, Michael Collins. You know, there were yeah. pretty big liberties taken with Irish history with Michael Collins, but the spirit of it was right. And it, you know, I taught English to uh, Spanish kids, and I used to show, like, in a, a long time ago, and I used to show them Michael Collins to let them in to history. So, you know, I, I don't get those arguments. All our lives, we've learned about the past through, as well as newsreel books plays, TV shows, films and we should always do that because they inform history. They don't get everything right but once they're in the right spirit of things I think it's A-OK because if you just have newsreel what, what's the point of that, you know?
0: I have to say I did think when, when I was talking to Simon Jenkins about, about this issue what, what, what I felt about it but I, I'm kind of of the mind that all history is probably like that and because mm. history is told, told through the voice and the eyes of the victors, the victory the victors whatever that word is. You know what I, I mean? I know what victorious. you mean. Victorious. Yeah. Jeepers. It's been a very, very long day know, up since I half know. four. Um, <laughs> because it is tr- tr- told through the voice of the victorious, we always get a spin on history. Y- y- you never get, you know, there's always he said, she said, and the truth. And and, and that's true of this too. And it's, yeah. it's certainly... Is, is a version that's compatible with most of the facts as we know them. We know Charles and Diana were unhappy. Yeah. Therefore, they probably did have rows. We know that she danced on stage and that Charles was, was you know, very possibly a little bit jealous and a little yeah. bit, he was a very different character. Like, we know some of this stuff and you can certainly make up the conversations that they might have had. But if they fit with the facts, then they're a, they're a reasonable version to illustrate the facts. I I, I didn't agree with them either. And, and, and I, I think you make very good points about all of that. The stuff about uh, Diana having a revolving door yeah. of lovers, including James Hewitt, who, of course, has often been you know, urbanly mythicized as the father of, of Harry. People say, yeah. oh, look at the hair, the red hair, the curly hair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and, th- and those kinds of things are said. And obviously, we're not casting aspersions in this podcast on anyone's <laughs> parentage. But the point being, um, it was very interesting to see, it was framed in a way because over the course of the end of this episode, she, she you know, has obviously gone and made a big effort for the, the anniversary. Mm. He kind of tolerates it, but then afterwards kind of returns to Camilla, starts to ignore Diana again and she, having broken off all her dalliances re-engages with them it very much frames her looking for comfort in these things that she wasn't necessarily some kind of adulterous wife she was more a very very lonely woman cut off and, and seeking comfort that didn't really make her happy but that was her only way of finding any kind of solace
1: yeah and they actually frame it very well because as she's slowly reconnecting with him you see her or you hear her making calls to Charles and he's not picking up the phone and you see yeah. shots of him and actually it the episode kind of begins where it ends or sorry the episode ends where yeah. it begins in that she's dancing as well you you see her dancing while these phone calls are ringing and then very tellingly you know right at the end after we see this little frisson between her and hewitt there's someone in the shadows watching her and then this yeah. message is relayed to prince charles up in balmoral or wherever he was one of the stately and you know homes
0: it's- it's going to be used against her. It it, it was nicely bookended, as you yeah. point out, with the dancing, but even the arc of the whole episode started off with, they were in trouble, mm. they tried to make a go of it, which would often happen in a marriage, and then they were in trouble again. It didn't succeed. And and those are the kinds of cycles that failing marriages go through. So So there is a, uh, an element of of truth in it. You are left ultimately, I think, fe- well, I was feeling sorry for Diana. Uh, that's yeah. certainly how, how I felt. And also, I suppose, recognising that at no point did Charles ever really deviate in his love for Camilla, that that was the underlying issue for him the whole time. He was never able to fully connect to or commit to Diana because someone else already had his heart
1: yeah absolutely and it's you know the, the, the tragedy of it is writ large right at the end because the closing scene is just him kind of staring into space with a look on his face he's just been given this information about his you know wife yet again being found in a, in a tryst with someone and you're not sure what the expression on his face is is it one of relief is it and also the title of the episode is very good Avalanche obviously it refers to the snow where he was and, and, and nearly dying and all that but it's almost like you know the SH1T is about to hit the fan there's an yeah. avalanche coming She's, there's a
0: momentum building yeah. behind all of it
1: so the 10th um, the episode is shaping up very nicely
0: Uh, It is, it absolutely is And before I let you go The other thing I I thought about And and I I agree with you I I actually love the ins and outs Of their marriage I don't know why I'm not even a royalist But this is the No I know, me neither You see
1: it's good writing though It's good writing uh,
0: I thought you said it's good riding for a second and I thought who knows first, that's, that's first the, we have the lovers now we have the riding that's a different
1: we, podcast we should do Pat something Pat <laughs> Kenny
0: and I didn't go anywhere near we were Sorry. all about the politics and I'm tired too of... my
1: mind goes into the gutter <gasps> when know, I'm tired I
0: know I hear you but, but one of the things I did think was it, I, I was in my mind I went back to earlier episodes where he spoke to his uncle who abdicated because he married a divorced woman mm. I, I, I when I saw him staring off into the distance at the end I thought I wonder did he think about that like he had an uncle who abdicated yeah. over, over a. A divorce largely speaking uh, he was marrying a divorcee mm. charles wanted to marry a div- was going to be a divorcee and he was going to be a divorcee himself like he did gamble a little bit on all of this i know diana had died and and that probably changed things but there was an element that he was hell bent on it irrespective and you would have to to i almost respect the fact that that that, that he wanted at least to choose love above other things
1: Absolutely. I mean, at the, at, at the end of the day, he was a man in love with the other woman. Like, it wasn't yeah. his fault. The heart has its own logic and all. And it's it's admirable that he was, you know, prepared to go to the lengths he was. Unfortunately, someone's heart kind of got pounded in it. Yeah. But uh, that's often the way, you know.
0: Yeah. And, and it, it does seem to me that the, the narrative that the Crown is going with is, is that Diana was kind of grist to their mill, she mm-hmm. was. She was. She was. I've used the word before. A, a, a brood mare. She had to yeah. use the air, the air and the spare, and um, her her happiness or her fulfilment or or any of those things, you know. As 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 the queen mother had said previously, she will bend, and and then yeah. Margaret said, or oh, what? What if she breaks? And and ultimately, she did kind of break, didn't she?
1: Yeah, but but in a way, you know, they misjudged her because that breaking, yeah. in a way, kind of broke royal family. I know they're still there and everything, but they were never quite the same since uh, yeah, there, was the, there was
0: a, a public glaze, glare, public, I really am tired, forgive me. There was a public kind of um, scrutiny of them that had never happened before. And as we will get to in the next series, presumably, yeah. um, a backlash against them over the whole Diana thing that they couldn't possibly have ever envisaged the levels of, the outpourings of grief for the people's princess were, were something, I've never seen anything like them in my lifetime.
1: No, absolutely not. And the way I think Prince Harry and mm-hmm. William, uh, particularly William and Kate, the way they've been in the world, you know, in yeah. recent years has so much to do with what happened around Princess Diana's life and more so tragically her death, because the royal family learned a real lesson from that. And if they were still going to be relevant, they had to put, you know, the, the, the latest, Prince's forward in a completely different light, you know.
0: Yeah, and and I suppose the last thing that has made me think of, people, obviously Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have stepped back from public life, mm. and. A lot of people uh, have very nastily said things about Meghan Markle. And, and I, I'm not going to do that at all because I, I've never seen her put a foot wrong and I, I don't know her from, from Adam. But what this series has made me think is is I know nothing about her, but we know a little bit about the life and times of Harry. And I suspect if I had had my mother go through the, the relationship with the paparazzi and the press that his mother had and, and the way she died, I would be super protective of my wife and I would be. Uh, very defensive about the press and she has gotten such a rough ride from them. I I wonder people can blame Meghan Markle for them pulling back. But I wonder, is Harry the driving force behind that? Because, you know, he has spoken before about how much he struggled after his mother's death and his mental health and all of that. Like, this is a scar that those boys carry.
1: Absolutely. Hugh Grant was on a, some press tour, I think, for a movie last year. The Gentleman, I think it was. Anyway, that's of no consequence. But he was asked by some American guy. It was the day after Prince Harry had decided that he was going to step back from his royal duties. remember that whole Hoi Palav? I think it was last year, wasn't it, or the year before. Of course you do. And, you know, Hugh Grant was a bit bemused about, you know, why are you asking me this in an interview for a movie? But he said, well, you know, I can't blame him. The British press, in essence, killed his mother. Why the hell would he want to stick around? And I thought that was, you know, right on the money.
0: Yeah, and and they they had been building up a head of steam around yeah. his wife as well. I oh mean, yeah. The, the the commentary around his wife. It certainly veered in, in many instances into racist and, and into misogynist, Absolutely. but into kind of semi obsessed with her as this villainous woman and and, and and you'd you'd have to question all that. Look, I didn't expect us to go there. No, I know. But that's the beauty of talking to you, John Hardy. <laughs> we could go anywhere.
1: We could. Um, look, and we will go we other could. places in the future. But for now, Kira Kelly
0: thank you very much for talking to me that Cheers. is the wonderful John Fardy. you'll be you will be on our, our ears again uh, this Saturday at 6 o'clock
1: yeah I have Amanda Seyfried and Lily Collins she of Emily in Paris fame and Phil Collins' daughter on a great new movie called Mank fantastic
0: stuff listen thank you very thank much for you. talking to you. I'll talk to you soon Cheers. thanks for listening to The Crowncast guys that's episode 9 episode 10 will be up soon
1: The Crowncast from News Talk The Crown The Crown The Crown must win